0: greetings in christ we are walking our way through the book of titus and today our text is chapter 3 verses 1 to 14 we're really only going to really cover 1 to 11 for the most part but there's some stuff there in the end we're going to reference and we didn't want to just end on verse 11 but next week we'll handle 12 to 15 close out the letter there is a show on tv called code black it's a show about a um, emergency room in Los Angeles that is regularly overrun with patients. And as the show begins, it flashes. Uh, it begins with an image on the screen that defines what a code black is. Code black occurs when there is an influx of patients so great that there aren't enough resources to treat them. And then it goes on to kind of show how the average emergency room experiences about five code blacks a year, while this particular emergency room in L.A. experiences up to 300 code blacks a year. An influx of patients so great, there aren't enough resources to treat them. The damage... That our sin has caused in our life it's been so great that we did not have the resources to treat it the our, our, our relationship with God was in such a mess that we did not have the resources to treat it we were in spiritual code black Our relationship with God was in a mess. I want you, we're we're skipping verses 1 and 2. We're going to go right to verse 3. And I want you to just look through that with me. Verse 3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and Envy, being hated, and hating one another. Our relationship with God was a mess. We were foolish. Okay? In the Bible, a fool is someone who says in his own heart, there is no God. And you don't have to be an avowed atheist to say that, but you can be a person who simply lives as if God doesn't exist. You can ignore God. Ignoring God is the definition of being a fool. We were foolish. We were disobedient. A disobedient person rejects God's rule for their life and, and wants to uh, run their own life, their own way. And, and our disobedience, it affected our thinking. We were deceived and uh, enslaved. It, it affected our behavior we were uh, foolish and disobedient, disobedient and enslaved, thinking foolish and uh, deceived. It, we were victims, right? We were deceived and enslaved, but we were responsible because we were foolish and we were disobedient. Um, our individual choices have created a collective culture that deceives us. So the world tries pushing us into the mold, but this world is is a world that we have created, right? we're, We're trapped by our own habits, but those habits are habits that we form through our own actions. And as a result, we are helpless, absolutely helpless. We need someone to save us. We were in spiritual cold black. Our relationship with God was in such a mess that we did not have the resources to treat it. We did not have the tools to handle it. We did not have what we need to fix it whatsoever. People, people often admit that they need a little help. It's not hard. I mean, most of us, most people will admit they need a little help, a helping hand or whatever. But we needed more than helping hand. We need more than a little help. We needed a complete rescue. And because our relationship with God was in a mess, our relationship with one another was in a mess. Um, It says things like malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Malice is wishing bad things would happen to people. Envy is wishing good things would not have happened to people. We were hated by one another, and hating one another, we are in a big, hot, spiritual mess. How do you like hearing the truth about yourself? Oh, gee, thanks, Pastor. Uh, I'm glad I came to church today. We, our culture, the culture we live in, it is all about self-esteem and self-image. It's all about me and how i feel about myself that's the culture we live in and um, so if anyone threatens that with an uncompromising dose of truth it feels like an attack right we we pretend we all pretend to a certain extent that we are wonderful people and and we're very good at ignoring any evidence to the contrary But we're going to get into the gospel today. And and because of the good news of Jesus, because of the gospel, there's no need for pretending anymore. This constant, tiring attempt to manage our image and to um, portray ourselves in the best light we can can finally be over. We We will never understand the kindness and love of God until we face the reality of who we were without him. And who we are without Him. And what we're like without Him. We were hated and hating. Our relationship is in a mess. We're in code black with no way out. Until. Until the kindness and love of God appeared. Until the kindness and renewal of God appeared. Not when you look at verses four to seven. I I it's on your it's in your bulletin I didn't put up here on the screen. But verses four to seven, this is, this is really the heart and core of the message today. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. By the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He saved is the main verb in this sentence, main idea. We were facing condemnation, judgment, death okay? We, there, there was nothing we could do. We were deceived and enslaved. We were completely helpless, powerless, but he saved. He saved. Do you ever make a decision in your life by drawing up a list of pros and cons? Ever, anyone ever done that, right? We make, it's time to make a decision, so we draw up a list of pros and cons, all right? I want you to imagine That God decided whether or not to save us by drawing up a list of pros and cons. Imagine that. Imagine God asking, um, should I save them? Well, let's see. Let's look at a list of pros and cons. Let's start with the cons. What would some of the cons be for me uh, saving them? Well, Well, they are foolish, disobedient. Enslaved, deceived, malicious, envious, hating, hated, and he's just getting warmed up. All right, okay. What would be the pros for me saving them? Pros, pros. Um, God, who you know, he he doesn't have to think, but he's thinking nothing nothing there's no reason that God should save us but we know he loved us so across that list of pros God wrote my kindness my love my mercy God didn't look at us and think "Wow, you know they're really not that bad. Um, overall, they're, they're, they're okay. I see some potential there we can work with. He didn't see that. He saw, he saw folly, disobedience, um, envy, malice, hatred. He saw a thousand reasons to condemn us. He saw a thousand cons to saving us. But yet, In his kindness and love, he saved us. Main point of that whole verse there, four to seven, it's one sentence. He saved us in his kindness and love. He saved us because, how would you complete that sentence? God saved me because. You guys already know the answer. Everyone needs an answer for that. We, we all have to answer this sentence, right? We all have to answer this idea. We, we have to answer that question somehow. And if I think the answer to that is going to be because of something I've done or because the way I've lived or anything that I have done, I am not going to be saved. I will have no confidence whatsoever. Saving faith involves having confidence in nothing other than God. And so, saving faith involves trusting God and and the answer comes in the middle of that text he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he saved us because of his mercy that is how you already know the answer because he loved us because of his mercy that is how that question gets answered That is how that sentence gets completed. That is our only true hope. He saved us because of his mercy. Our salvation begins with the mercy of God the Father. It isn't that Jesus had to persuade his father to want to save us. It isn't that Jesus is the nice guy who had to intervene and, and stop an angry God from hating us. It all begins with the mercy and love of God the Father. It was there all along. But there was a moment when it appeared in history. There was a moment when that kindness and love of God appeared in history, and that moment was Christmas. Jesus is the the kindness and love of God made visible. People had heard of the love of God for centuries. And, um, but on that first Christmas, the, the kindness of God became more than a rumor, more than a promise. It became physical. People could see it and, and touch it. God has always loved us. He's always loved us. But in the incarnation and at the crucifixion, His love for us came to a climax, came to its zenith when he gave up what was most precious to him, his only son, to live as a human being here and die as a criminal. I mean, how great is the love and kindness of God? Look at the crib. Look at the cross. Look at God giving up his own beloved son. When we chose to ignore God as fools, and when we chose to disobey God, we became his enemies. We became rebels underneath his judgment, and our future was basically condemnation and death. So before there could be reconciliation, God had to deal with that disobedience. Okay? The, the penalty for our rebellion had to be paid but in his kindness and love god the father sent his son to die in our place and as a result we have been justified big word there in verses four to seven we've been justified that is a legal term for being declared right or being declared not guilty so we were on trial And the charges against you and me is that we were foolish, disobedient, enslaved, deceived, malicious, envious, hated, and hating. And there is more than enough evidence against us. By all means, the verdict clearly should be guilty. But then the kindness of God intervenes. It appears in the form of His Son. And the sentence that we deserve is passed on to Him. And He dies in our place and bears our penalty. And we are declared not guilty. We are justified. <laughs> Only by His grace. Only by His mercy. Only by His love. His undeserved love. And as a result of being justified, as the verse says, we receive eternal life. We receive life. We become, as it says in verse 7, heirs having the hope of eternal life. So our justification is a present reality, but it's also a future reality. When, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was affirming that the sacrifice for all sin had been paid. So every one of your sins had been paid. When God raised Jesus from the dead, that was proof of that. That was God affirming that that happened for us. And so um, jesus was justified and we are justified in him because we are in him we remain in him and so we experience peace with god because he treats us as he treats his son we therefore are heirs we are heirs heirs are children with the rights of inheritance now i have i have eaten in in people's homes and stayed overnight at their home because i was friends with their son i did that i did a lot i went away also to school 12 hours away in my high school years like jonah and and i um and and so many weekends i had friends where we'd go to their house on weekends and i would i would stay you know at their home for the weekend because i was friends with their son they welcomed me into their home for the sake of their son It, it was only on account of my relationship with their son that meant that that i could sit that sit at their table eat their food enjoy their company and sleep in their home how much more does god delight to welcome us for the sake of his son we have a seat at his table we are his heirs We, we belong to god's house the kindness of god has not only saved us from something, it's also saved us for something. Left to ourselves, our, our future, our future was eternal death, but in Christ, because of our relationship with Christ, the Son of God, our future is eternal life. Let's talk a little bit about the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We often think of rebirth. We use that term a lot today, like the rebirth of a neighborhood or something. Um, you know, the rebirth of someone's career or something. It basically, in a way, of, we, we use that word to say like an improvement, right? Something that's kind of eh, gets improved. And so um, the biblical idea is, is very different. Biblical rebirth is very different. Uh, we were dead and now reborn, now alive reborn, dead, and now alive. It wasn't that, you know, before we were just kind of not living so well, you know, kind of good, but kind of, you know, off days and and not doing things exactly like we should, and then we are reborn, and you start living a little bit better. That's not biblical rebirth. Biblical rebirth is that we were dead in our sins, but then God made us alive. We're reborn. That means we live a whole new life. The other word used in that passage is renewal, and we often think of renewal as repeating something. I think maybe the most uh, regular way we use that word is renewing a subscription, right? We, we renew, we, we repeat something, we renew a, rescrip- a prescription, but rebirth here, or sorry, renewal here is more than that. It's not just a renewal in time, it's a renewal in nature We are made completely new, renewed, completely new life. How? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us to faith. That's how it happens. The Holy Spirit brings us to faith. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus as our Savior. The Holy Spirit gives us faith in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. The Holy Spirit gives us faith that we have been justified. He works through the Word, and He works through the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. The verse there in verse 5 says that He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, baptism. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, By the Holy Spirit, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Baptism Baptism is then a tool, along with the word, through which the Holy Spirit gives us faith. He saves us through the washing of rebirth. Unless the Holy Spirit works in us, we won't even want eternal life with God. We won't even want life with God. A baby cannot decide to be born. And neither can a person decide to be reborn. That happens with the life the Holy Spirit gives us. It, it is God the Holy Spirit who gives us life. So in God's kindness and love, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, many of us have experienced a time where it seemed that we made the decision to become Christian. right? And, and uh, so I've read the Bible, and I've decided it's true, so I've decided to become a Christian. And and that is, you know, that is, um, that is what happens from our human personal perspective. But that's how we experience it. But in every single case, in every single case, something was happening beforehand and underneath to make that happen. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is the Spirit's work of rebirth and renewal. So if you have decided that the Bible is true, it is because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see Jesus. If you have decided to follow Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to love Jesus. It is because the Holy Spirit has given you faith through the Word and the sacraments. It is because the Holy Spirit has done His work of rebirth and renewal in your life through the Word and sacraments, through those means, those tools of His grace. Let's talk about renewal. I want you to Think of God's perfect creation as it must have been in the beginning of time where, where everything he created was perfect, beautiful. He looked at and saw. It was very good. It was perfect. There were no flaws in it. And then, as you know, in Genesis 3, it gets ruined. Okay? Now, throughout the rest of Scripture, God's going to make a promise. And that promise that God makes to us is that one day I am going to make everything new again. And that is what you and I have to look forward to. Everything is going to be new. It's going to be made new. All right. So, you are people who follow Christ, who believe in Him, who the Holy Spirit has worked faith in. What God is doing in your heart, what God is doing in your heart is the first glimpse of that new creation. Okay, we are first fruits of that new creation that God is gonna make. And that that faith that God has put in your heart, what God is doing in your heart and life, is the first little glimpse of that creation. Your renewal as someone who loves God and someone who wants to start doing good to thank him is kind of like a preview of this new creation that we are all going to be part of one day. So God has done it all. All right, we were code black. We were helpless. Um, We were were in a mess. We we did not have the resources to do anything about it. And God came out of his mercy and kindness and he saved us. He gave up his most uh, precious possession, his son to do it, to pay our penalty, Um, gave us life and then even sends the Holy Spirit to give us faith, to, to give us rebirth, give us renewal so that we would be part of his creation through that faith that he gives us. And for whom does he do all this? For whom has God done all this? For those who are foolish, disobedient, enslaved, deceived, envious, malicious, and hating. In other words, He's done it for you and me. He's done that all for you and me. So, how do we respond? How do we respond to this amazing love and kindness and mercy and renewal of God? By doing what is good. Look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, meaning verses 4 to 7. And I want you to stress these things So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I want you to stress these things. So he just said verses 4 to 7 where we just laid out in the whole, that's what we've been talking about. And now he says, okay, that's a trustworthy saying, so stress these things. Stress these things. We are to stress the gospel so that we live the gospel. We are to stress the gospel so that we live the gospel. Remember, from the beginning, the gospel must be central. We are to stress the gospel. We we can't talk about the gospel uh, too much. um, Let me add verse 9 to verse 8. Verse 8 and 9, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because, they're, because these are unprofitable and useless. So, stress the gospel and avoid controversies. Sound easy enough? The reality, though, all too often in church life is that we stress controversies and avoid talking about the gospel. Right? And maybe the gospel is stressed in our preaching. But I think a lot of time, our conversations stress controversy. So maybe our preaching stresses the gospel, our preaching and teaching, and when we're doing the things we're supposed to be doing as people in the church. But I think a lot of time, our conversations stress controversy. Emails people write stress controversy. Um, points people raise stress controversy. We all agree on the kindness and love of God. We, we agree on the gospel. Right? which is, by the way, excellent and profitable and very useful. But we spend a lot of our time and energy in controversy, arguments, and quarrels, even though they are unprofitable and useless, a waste of our time. What do we discuss at church meetings, and what, what do we discuss when we talk here after church? Are we planning on how we're going to tell the world about the kindness of God? Or do we get bogged down in quarrels about things that are unprofitable? When you, when you eat together, when you hang out together, when you meet together, wh- what do you talk about? The kindness of God? Or the latest controversy? Would you prefer to, to read a blog about some contentious issue or one that stresses the gospel, one that stresses the kindness of God. Let's stress gospel things. Let's talk about the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, the the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's avoid talking about things that divide because they divide. Look at verses 10 and 11. Um, Let's warn divisive people. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. Warn divisive people. In, in our individualistic culture, we value the individual above the community. Everyone has the right to express their own opinion, we tell ourselves. But Christ died to make us one. One. Christ gave his life to reconcile us with God and to reconcile us with each other. So let's lovingly warn those who would threaten to destroy what Christ won for us. For their good and for our good and for the good of the church. When it comes to grumbling or gossip, let's be a cul-de-sac and not a through street not a channel Okay, we, we talked a few weeks ago in the sermons we talked about how as christians we are conduits that you know we, we want to let god's generosity flow through us okay when it comes to grumbling or gossip let's be a cul-de-sac not a through street not a channel so when someone comes to you when you hear grumbling when you hear gossip let's be the place that that stops not the channel that it flows through um when you hear, when someone comes to you complaining about someone, send them to go and deal with it, with that person. <laughs> send them to go and take care of it with that person, to, to work it out with that person. Spending our time on promoting um, division is, as scripture says, warped and sinful. Let's spend our time and energy stressing the kindness and love of God. Finally, living the gospel. Doing what is good. So we respond to the amazing love and kindness of God by doing what is good. This is the thought in the beginning and the middle and the end of this chapter. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 14 says, let's devote ourselves to doing what is good. So we stress the gospel so that we live the gospel. This is how we thank and honor God. It's how we... Um, This is how we show the world what the love and kindness of God is all about. This is how we spread the gospel. We are to stress the good that God has done for us so that we can do good to other people. And this is how we carry out God's mission in the world. Now we can go back to verses 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. Christians are called to submit and do good, to submit to put the interests of others first, and to do good to help other people out. We are to be people who are looking for opportunities to bless our cities and to serve our neighbors. Don't slander, don't quarrel, be considerate, be gentle. We are to treat people the way that Jesus treated us, right? And that is crazy different from the world around us because we live in a world filled with people who are foolish, disobedient, envious, uh, malicious, deceived, enslaved, hated, and hating. And so it can be tempting for us to withdraw from the world or even to look down on the world, right? Right? We, 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 uh, we find it a lot more comfortable hanging out, gathering together with, hanging around people, uh, fellow Christians, right? And we tell each other stories of the big bad world outside. But the Apostle Paul says, that's what you were like too. That's what you were like too. But you were saved by grace. So we have no reason for feeling superior. We have no reason for looking down on the world because that is what we were like too. That is what we have been saved from as well. So let's be different. Let's be in that world and let's make a difference in it. Let's bless the world by God's love through us. And, and, but when you do that, when you try to be peaceable, when you try to be considerate, when you try to be gentle out there in the world, you are often going to be met with malice, envy, hatred, and so forth right so what do you do when that happens what do you do when that happens well remember what you used to be like remember what you used to be like what did god do when you hated him he didn't stand at a distance he didn't disconnect himself from you and look down on you did he what did he do he appeared he appeared he entered our world in kindness and mercy and so in the same way, we appear, we get involved in our world in kindness and mercy, even when that comes at a great cost to ourselves. So we can't say, well, I'm going to keep myself pure, so I'm going to keep, you know, away from the world. We can't say, well, I want to protect my family, so I'm going to keep my family out of the world. God didn't say that. God didn't keep his family out of the world. If he had his son would never have come to save us. God let his son come into the world to save us from all of this. When we were in code black and did not have the resources to save ourselves, when, when we were helpless, God did what was good. And so now he says, He tells us to do what is good. Do what is good in your home, on your street, at your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Do what is good. Let's stress the gospel to each other so that we can live the gospel in front of others. Let's do what is good. Why? Because he did. Because God did what was good. And because he still does. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.